Oh man, can you tell I've never podcasted before? It's okay. It's okay, dude. <laughs> All right. Hey everyone, my name is Mike Kristen, and you're listening to Mike Makes Playlist, where we'll be discovering music and giving context to the songs and albums we love. Uh, this week we're focusing on best album openers, and to chat about this, I'm joined with Alan Miskowski, my boss, executive producer and owner of Local 209. What's up, Mike? How's it going? Uh, a lot better now. <laughs> that was a great open. Thank you, thank you. I uh, learned from the best. <laughs> it's nerve-wracking. Uh, hosting a podcast it is yeah. well it's your first one yeah and this is exciting this is, is new exciting. territory yeah this is your plymouth rock yeah for sure but it's something we're both passionate about and i'm really happy you uh, you got to um help curate this week's playlist uh kind of shaped up a lot better than i thought it would and uh i'm excited to be making this every week you're right it's a lot of fun just it's not work <laughs> like yeah, i was complaining about work. yesterday <laughs> but it, it's fun i think the hardest part is always trying to figure out um find songs that people would uh will enjoy and also respect you know while also not being too deep cutty about it um a lot of these album openers are actually very popular songs um and i'm excited to kind of give a little bit of context of why we put it in there and some historical context of the song itself well what i'm excited about too is we talked about it at length off air but i just get tired of hearing about all these adjectives of all these songs and then being told why it's great um, without any actual like real tangible information. So what I love about this idea so far is that you're going to be talking about the trends. You've got mm. themes for these podcasts. And then you've also got a great context to all the songs of why they're on the list as well. Yeah. And so I'm really excited even about the first category. Yeah. Yeah. I think this was uh, we came up with this uh, yesterday because at first we were just going to do uh, kind of a random playlist of moods. But when I came up with the uh, the themed ideas yesterday, I thought this was a very solid one to open up with <laughs> since this week is uh, all about album openers um and to me i think the album opener is obviously one of the most more important songs on the entire album uh it sets the tone for what it is uh if it's a concept album it kind of start leads the story um and you know it's always sometimes more than more often than not uh, a more exciting song to really get the uh, listener involved but there's also those times where it kind of starts off jury and you're like wow we're about to go down this road of sadness and uh remorse and all that so uh luckily this this whole uh playlist actually is a lot of of those jumpier and juicier uh songs and um the first two uh you actually picked out yourself i did yeah, yeah. so it was my kind of addition to the playlist we kind of sat down yesterday and just kind of went down this wormhole of the best number one songs of all time on an, an album opener um i thought that you made a lot of great points about the album opener and so um following that lead i'm going to say that the first two i really like because i think they kind of blend they, they do a good start which all of these essentially do but i think the thing i love about the first three in particular um potentially four if you really probably analyze it enough is that it really deals with suburbia and it really kind of deals with um a lot of things that we can relate to as midwesterners so yeah um, the first song that I really wanted to kind of put out here was the Velvet Underground Sunday Morning from their Banana album. Sunday morning, and I'm 
top uh, 10 albums of all time by Rolling Stone. And I think it's probably one of those dream psychedelica songs that it gets kind of passed over in a lot of conversation. And an interesting one, I think, long-term wise is that I got into Velvet Underground late. Um, I got it. It was one of the first um, albums I listened to on vinyl um, and just fell in love with it right away. And so um, just the dreaminess of it, kind of like uh, that abstract concept of what, what it's all about. And there's a little, you know, even doing some research on it, it looks like Lou Reed made some of these lyrics with some ideas of paranoia involved. Yeah. And so these contradictions in sound and poetry is kind of a cool mix and a good way to start it off. For sure. I really enjoyed the opening kind of, what would you call those? Are those chimes? Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a specific instrument that, yeah. that musicians would tell you it is. Uh, I don't have that information. Um, but it almost sounds like an ice cream truck. That's exactly what it sounds It's like a, a carousel kind of um, sounding to it. And it, it puts you in like this this dreamy state right off the bat. And I can see what you're talking about, the paranoia. Um, and kind of that, that the looming anxiety that comes with it as well mm-hmm. uh, as the um, as the track plays on. And something I was thinking about is that when this album was made, obviously production isn't what it is today. And so whatever instrument they're using, that had to be like absolutely precise when they were recording it. When nowadays uh, you could just hop on a synthesizer and go on Logic and just do a plug-in for chimes and probably make that so much easier. Yeah. But the experimentation and the... Um, the 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 effort that that went into the production of the, these kind of tracks back then especially when everything was uh, initially pressed on wax instead of on these wave files uh is is just astounding yeah yeah well and i picked this song in particular from its influence um i think that there's no late 70s punk rock from, like that burst in new york city without these guys like, yeah that, including that cbgb scene of talking heads and yeah um television and uh the Ramones. So I think that this is the start of that. And so that's one of the reasons that's one of my favorite genres of music on top of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and you make a lot of great points. I think from a studio perspective, it's fun to kind of think about the difficulty of that time period for sure. Um, and, and who knows, it could be some kind of precursor to what we saw in the late sixties too, from an influence side. Yeah. And I, I think even today, Lou Reed just holds so much influence on a lot of the music that I enjoy. Like the, uh, cause I'm a huge fan, you know, of the, uh, the alternative and the kind of the garage style sounding, uh, alternative bands. So like Twin Peaks, straight Lou Reed influence. Uh, we listen to the Goon Sacks, straight Lou Reed influence, stuff like that. Um, I, I could see Car Seat Headrest as a major influence. Oh, I could see that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it, a very solid um track to not only start that album but also to start this playlist and that goes into blizzard of 77 in the blizzard of 77 the cars were just lumps on the snow and then later tripping in 7-eleven the shells were stretching out of control i know we talked a lot of off air about being linear and tangible and, and being direct uh, with a lot of this conversation. And I think what I love about this song is that it's ex- the exact opposite of that. It's very abstract, yet very. it's a very unique perspective on the world around them. Um, I did have a chance to see Not A Surf at the Metro. Um, great my, venue. Great venue. Great venue yeah. for my brother. Who's, it's in Chicago. Uh, my brother's 21st birthday, um, and Blizzard of 77 is one of his favorite songs. He uh, requested it and he screamed it out loud because there was just there's just like that silence in the Classic audience. Mark. <laughs> screamed out, "Play Blizzard of '77." He heard it, uh, found out it was his birthday, so made sure he played it. Hell yeah! So that was really cool. And then we had a chance to run into them um, in the bar afterward. And I, my brother directly asked him, 
um, about this song. And that abstractness uh, is very clear once you hear what was go- what they were on. He said that they just tripped balls on acid one night, went to a 7-Eleven, and this is the song they came up with. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. In a major snowstorm. So for that's sure. where you kind of get this perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of songs for me, there's a couple on this list that uh, the, the meaning behind them kind of changed after I, used, I saw them live. Would, would you say that's kind of something that happened to you when you saw that live too? Yes. Yeah. Um, unfortunately with not a surf in particular, I find their studio albums more enjoyable than their live shows. Um, we've had these conversations where there's too many people on the mic talking and it really comes down to that relationship you build inside the walls with the audience. Yeah. And some people are really good at that and some people are not. Um, Matthew cause is not one of those guys. Mm, Okay. So I, but I, but the studio album wise, I'm, I'm a huge fan for sure. For sure. Uh, so we're going into the third song now, which is by a band we both admire and love, and I think we both kind of agree that this belongs on the playlist, and it is the opening song of the third album by Arcade Fire, The Suburbs, titled The Suburbs. To me, the song is, and the whole album is, is about, like, um, you know the kind of the fears you have when you're when you're in your youth, and obviously, um, so reading some context earlier, it was not so much a love because uh, the the writers of the album drew a lot of inspiration from their time growing up in a suburban West Texas, um, and they they noted that it's not a love letter to the suburbs, rather a love letter love letter from the suburbs, which kind of which kind of you know, dance around my head a little bit more because obviously a love letter to the suburbs would be saying thank you for raising me and and homing me into the person I am today. But a love letter from is kind of like this hopeful, like I hope to not only make it out, but find a better life than what I'm already already finding in here, which is insane because um, you make fun of suburban kids nowadays for having everything handed to them, which is not always the case. No one knows what happens in home. Um, I love the this, the setting that this song kind of sets for the whole album. It's kind of I don't know how to describe it. Just kind of the opening the opening chords. It's kind of campy, but you also kind of feel some some impending. I don't want to say doom, but there's also like undertones of sadness and sorrow uh, within like the the bass lines and the chorus. So yeah, I, I we talked. Uh, you know, I had a great professor once that. Uh, I took it was an American lit class and he uh, mentioned that there's two types of stories that Americans will always love. And it's the um, mysterious stranger story, that concept uh, where it's like an enclosed place. And then people are coming from the outside to really kind of change it up. And how that all ends is a very interesting way for us. And it's right. built from like the very beginnings of, you know, the pilgrims coming in and the native Americans. It's just a real, it's, it's ingrained in us. And the other one is the, the road West. Right. That's yeah. the, these are these are that major adventure story. story. Yeah, the adventure story, and I think that's the brilliance of this album in particular is that they encapsulate it in such a way that a lot of people don't. I think probably the last person who probably did it as well is the other one of the other songs that didn't make the cut is Thunder Road. Yeah, right. Yeah, and Springsteen has that a very American vibe to it. I think we argued that he might be the best American yeah. songwriter the of boss, all time. Baby. Right. I mean, yeah. to him or Dylan at mm-hmm. this point, but. Um, this song, I, I would say, from a personal experience, I uh, saw these guys that I, so they were playing headlining a Lollapalooza at this time um, when this when they were touring around the suburbs. 
I decided to see instead that night uh, Soundgarden's Sound Garden, yeah. reunited. <laughs> and I, it's probably one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made at Lollapalooza. Not because Soundgarden wasn't great, but because the uh, impact of this album in particular. And man, when this when this album sunk its teeth into me, it became one of my favorite albums I've ever heard. And this song in particular embodies it all. Yeah, I love this album because um, I got into them a little later. I think when I was like around 18 or so. And uh, when I saw them at Lala, I think it was 17, um, I was I was enthralled by this album, not only by this song, but by the following song, which is Ready to Start, mm-hmm. a song that you and I both love. And uh, my favorite song off the album is Month of May, which is kind of like this um, hyped up kind of almost punk rock rock inspired um, song with the same kind of chords going over and over with that distortion over the guitar. And I love it. Um, these guys are fantastic live, and they can, they they have this ins- entire band of of people on on stage, and brings this incredible live performance. Um, highly recommend this album if no one's listened to it before, and highly recommend seeing them as soon as all this clears up. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah, two major wins there. Yeah, two major wins. Uh, let's go into another one of your picks, which is by The Clash, uh, London Calling. Iconic album cover as well. I love that. I mean, I see that all over, uh, you know, music pages and stuff like that. And a revisionist cover. I yeah. mean, it was a, the original Elvis Presley mm. cover changed into theirs. Yeah. Joe Strummer smashing a, a bass. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so explain to me why you uh, why you think why you think this song belongs on this playlist. Very similar to the suburbs, um, when it's just like the first parts of the song starts you're you just instantly realize you've never heard this before and you're just interested to see where this is going to go right that's what the clash london calling represents for me um from the very beginning of the song it almost you can and again we i hate i hate adjectives to explain it but it almost feels like this curtain just falling on you just yeah, like you yeah. know what this is not going to be anything you've heard before and it's symbolism in history i think it it really it's like that late '70s punk rock is a very uh, I'm, I'm very uh, romantic to that time period in particular, and I don't think anybody encapsulated and made it as professional as the Clash did, and it, as, as eclectic. It showed that 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 genre has uh, um, experience, it has it has talent, yeah, and it's uh, a better thing that it's going to be very inspirational moving forward. Uh, influential, and so that's why I picked it. Awesome, awesome. I don't know enough about the Clash, but after this, I'm definitely going to be diving in some more. Incredible band, yeah, fantastic. I, I know uh, I have a lot of respect for the, for the punk scene in general, and knowing its history, and I know how important the Clash were in uh, its progression into what it is today. Which, of course, people have this opinion on, but I still I still think punk rock is great. Um, but that is leading into our what is this a fifth song on the, on the uh, playlist, which is yep. Spiderhead by Cage the Elephant off there. Third album, Melophobia. The little context behind Melophobia is um, Melophobia, the word itself, means a fear of music. Um, and I remember redoing some research when I was doing uh, some album club a while ago that they named it after this because all the band members wanted a separation from the music that inspired their the Cage the Elephant sound. So during the recording and writing process of this album, they decided to stop listening to as much music as they usually would. Uh, it wasn't like a complete like lack of music, but they tried to really 
not listen to things that inspire them to make music. And so what, what the result was this kind of re um, revision of what Cage the Elephant was. And I think probably their best album, one of their, if not, if not uh, second best album to uh, Tell Me I'm Pretty. I love that album too. But uh, Spiderhead kind of, it, it comes in with these, you know, um, these pounding guitar chords into this dancey kind of beat. Um, and his chorus of him kind of yelling, you know, spiders in my head, all that stuff. Uh, I love it because they open a lot of their sets with it. And it really brings the energy of who Matt Schultz and his brother and uh, the rest of the band are as performers and as musicians and as artists. Because they're, they are a trip to see live. Yeah, and both uh, one of our favorites to see live. Insane. Right? And Absolutely so insane. I, all the artists I've ever seen, they're incredible. And I remember when the promotional tour of this album in particular was going out, and I don't know if you remember the video or not, but it was like a very small promo club show they were at, mm -hmm. and they played this song. They introduced it for the first time, um, and the energy was just unmistakable yeah. that this was going to change. Right, right. And right. we were so used to, at this point of this band, hearing... The ain't no rest for the wicked's and right. that stuff. Where there's these very good raw constructed rock songs, and this one is just like, okay, we're in for something different here. Yeah, yeah. You know, from that band, and they, I think that shift really is what they're kind of still riding off of today. Yeah, in they, a lot um, of ways, they've done such a good job of evolving their sound without taking too big a steps. I think. I think each album that they kind of progress their sound, they take the proper amount of distance from their last album to reinvent themselves in a sense, but. I mean, it's not Radiohead kind of uh, revision in, in each album, but it's still like this kind of maturity, uh, especially from the first album where they're kind of like, they had the long, greasy hair and the baggy clothes, and they're like this garage rock band unto Tell Me I'm Pretty and so on, where they're kind of more, uh, you know, clean. They're a little more clean, but they still like rock and roll music. Yeah. For yep. sure. I saw the, so one of the first, the first time I ever saw these guys was again, at a, it was at a Lala, but it was at an after show. It was the at Riv, the Riv. Yeah. yeah. And, um, to kind of put, to kind of set the tone for this this time period it was at the end of a lala day which anybody who's been doing that before knows that that's like it's it's a marathon mm -hmm. it was me my friend and both of our wives they my, the girls at the time were just complaining at such a a, a, a pace i didn't know if we were even going to be able to see the show because <laughs> it was just like they're we're losing them right you know right. And, and at that point you can't get him drunker no you know no um so the band started up, lights went down, this song kicked in, and I've they just never stopped bouncing the entire time. Yeah. So that just shows you the power of this album. Yeah, this album, this song. Uh, obviously, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Cage the Elephant, but if you haven't done a deep dive into their uh, discography and listened to their evolution from album one to album six, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So uh, going into the next song, we have Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones off of their eighth album, Let It Bleed. This album was uh, recorded during kind of a turmoil in their in their uh, their days, which of course eight albums in. I mean, they've been a band and in the height of the sex, drug, rock and roll kind of era. And I remember reading that um, one of the one of the band members quit about a quarter way into production. Um, but the song itself is about Vietnam, I believe, right? I don't. I honestly don't know. It's obviously recorded during the time period. Yeah. Um. It's been used in every single symbolism of Vietnam we have. Yeah. Uh. So I would say yes. 
yeah. but I didn't do the like the research on it. Um, but obviously, war children. It's yeah. just a shot away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm guessing that there's probably a lot of that. Yeah. If I haven't, I didn't do the the research into this song in particular, but all the signs kind of show that it is, you know, for uh, about Vietnam. Obviously, yeah. an anti-Vietnam art piece, as most of art pieces of that time were. Um, what I love about this song is kind of how it lingers in, with the you know the, the guitars fading in and the boom 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 with the drums. Up until like this, it's not an explosion, but this kind of full chorus that is that that gets stuck in your head. Oh, it's just a shot away, you know. And it, you know, you hear it on Vietnam games. I mean, on Vietnam movies, you hear it in war games. It gets stuck in your head because it's such a fantastic melody, and um, the lyrics behind it obviously impact, uh, depict something much deeper than uh, what our understanding is now today. But at that time, probably um, sat well within the hearts of p- listeners. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yes, um, I I thought that it was a great selection because um, of everything you just mentioned, um, from the symbolism of like that moment in American history. Uh, also, I think it also symbolizes the first album that they made post Beatles breakup, which I think was important for that band. Um, and then, other than that, I was just shocked that it was the opener of Let It Bleed, and and it's just an and that's like the starts their run of like right. four or five albums there where. Yeah, I mean they're almost untouchable from a completion of a discography. So, oh yeah, uh, great. Yeah, I think it's an awesome pick for sure. Uh, that leads into "Smells Like Teen Spirit" um, by this band called Nirvana. In case anyone, it's a, it's one of the deep cut, <laughs> deep cut tracks on this uh, on this playlist. such a popular song not just within the world of rock music but just in the world in general um and we were talking yesterday about how every time you hear those that opening riff you just kind of get pumped up and just fired up to just kind of take on the day uh this is from their sophomore album Nevermind, um which i think my fa- it's my favorite album uh we had we had we've had our discussions on in utero and all the other stuff but uh never obviously is a classic uh to say it's a favorite album of mine. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cliche. It's like saying you, the Beatles are your favorite band. But, um, yeah, no, I love the song for the riff. I love the how it explodes into the chorus after the, the soft two-note guitar, uh, you know, riff in the, in the verse. And it's just such a memorable song and used in so many things. I mean, I remember seeing uh, ASAP Rocky open up his, his set at Lala a couple years ago, jumping out to this song. So it has it has like gone past the realm of rock and into every other um, genre of art possible. And Kurt Cobain is just such an inspirational artist in in all aspects. Yeah, and I I would probably say for myself, it's probably not my favorite opener of Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Um, I think "Serve the Servants" probably is a better message, but I don't think you can argue the influence of this song. And I, and it, I think one of the cool things about a list like this is. If people take the time to listen to it, I think there's a lot of songs on here they didn't realize opened opened um, albums, and I think that's one of them that's kind of shocking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even going going through it yesterday when we were trying to pick, when you you and I were going through all the lists of albums that we like, you said a song, and I'm like, that opens that album. Yeah, you know, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that these these uh, hard hard hitting songs would open albums like the albums that they're opening, but 
you know, I guess that, that's all what encapsulates the great album. Going into our next song on the playlist is Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes off of their album Elephant. This is just such an iconic song that it's kind of, it's it's almost larger than life. You hear marching bands play it all the time at any level of football games, or you hear it being played over the PA at, at any kind of, you know, major sporting event. Um, you hear crowds cheer it, um, and it's just all for that famous bass line, you know, that boom, 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 boom. You, it's like that looming kind of, oh, here we come, you know, we're on our way. Um and it, it, I think it's such a great way to open up an album. Uh, Jack White here is just kind of saying, "Here I am." It's kind of like a dragon entering a uh, entering a cave. Mm. Yeah, you like that one? You like that one? Yeah, it's I mean, okay. I, I can dig it. Yeah, whatever. It's soaring guitars. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that uh, I, th- you know, Seven Nation Army is probably not my favorite White Stripes song. However. Just the, like what you alluded to, the impact of it. It's probably the song of the 2000s. And, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, we have not only the song of the 2000s on here, we have maybe the song of the 90s on here. And probably, arguably, you can make it about the song of the 60s is Gimme Shelter. Yeah. So it's a very, I mean, you could see the motivation behind this and why it's important to have them on there. And I think it's, you couldn't, Maybe for the second and third, we can get deeper cuts on maybe some of this stuff. But sure. at least for this first one, these iconic songs are so important to have. Yeah, I mean, this is this has been on all sorts of different video games, the Guitar Hero stuff, Rock Band, all that, all that shit. Um, and like, I would agree with you. It's not my favorite White Stripes song either, just for the fact that it's overplayed a million times. But getting down to it, this is such an incredible song, um, and it really does deserve a spot on the best album openers playlist, Volume One, Rock Edition. <laughs> All right, so next we're going to go into Do I Want to Know off of the Arctic Monkeys album AM. Have you got color in your cheeks? Do you ever get that feel that you can't shift the tide that sticks around like summits in your teeth? Are there some aces up your sleeve? Have you no idea that you're in deep? I dreamt about you nearly. Uh, British rockers, Arctic Monkeys, led by Alex Turner. Awesome band, to say the least. Also from The Last Shadow Puppets. Also from The Last Shadow Puppets. Just to say the least, uh, fantastic artists, fantastic um, music makers. They started off with that kind of uh, punky British pub vibe in, the, <clears throat> in their earlier albums, which which evolved into the sophisticated alternative rock album. AM that came out in 2013. I remember hearing this song a million times on the radio. This was their lead single off of that album, but there is also like five other notable singles from that album. That tour I missed, uh, but it sounds amazing. Sounds uh, and I've seen them live. Sadly, I saw them on their last their last uh, album promotional tour, which I mean I wasn't a big fan of the last album, but this album and this song in particular, with the way uh, it opens up the album. Um, I mean, just listen to this song and any other song from the album, I feel like I need to put on a leather jacket 
and smoke a cigarette or a fag, as they as they say in Britain. Um, and it, it deals with a lot of the things that, that goes on in this album, uh, which is, you know, romance and cheating and all that kind of unglory, uh, un, like the gross stuff that happens when relationships and breakups and just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of hard to really put into words just because it's, it's just, I don't know. I don't know where to go with this. Okay. Yeah. Um, from the White Stripes perspective, I'm going to piggyback what you're saying. Or from the Arctic Monkeys perspective, uh, they were probably one of the cooler bands that mm-hmm. never really broke yet. I mean, they yeah. had hits like Fluorescent Adolescent and Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor, which kind of really brought them. This is probably their first concentrated album effort. Mm. That was more of a theme, right? Yeah. The branding was on for this one. Yeah. And uh, we we both had a chance. I saw them on this tour um, supporting AM. Uh, I remember that this song in particular defined almost an entire fall for me Yeah. when it came out. You know, it's like you knew, you can distinctly remember the time period of this song. Yeah. It's moody. That's what, that's what this song is. It's moody. It's sassy in a sense. Yeah, and I think the best bands can be can play fast and play slow yeah i think that's what makes like the rolling stones the rolling stones right right right. um and i think this is showing that restraint yeah this band hasn't shown up until this point or maybe they have it just it's eluding me right now for sure yeah no i totally agree because uh compared to the other songs on this album like um knee socks or arabella this is definitely a more controlled sound it's like they're really trying to show you what they can do but also what they mean with the lyrics and the production and the tempo of this song. And another, I would consider an anthem. Yeah, no, for sure. I would consider this an anthem. I would consider Seven Nation Army an anthem. Yeah. Um, I would consider probably Gimme Shelter an anthem. Um, which, so it fits It fits the, the guidelines of the list. And I think that, you know, it's probably, I mean, I, I don't want to get into a full-on debate about it, but it's a top five album of the 2010s. Oh, for sure. I don't know if there's a more definitive one off the top of my head right now. Undeniable. Yeah, So. I think that, and uh, I don't know, I know a lot of like long-time Arctic Monkey fans that says that this album burned out after a couple of listens. I totally disagree. Uh, to this day, I, I love this album. Me I too. Love, yeah, I love, I love just the way it sounds because it's not, that, it's not that super messy kind of punk sound that they had in their earlier albums, but it's this cleaned up, sophisticated, I'm here to party the right way kind of sound. Yep. Yep. And unfortunately for the Arctic Monkeys, I think they're on their downward their downward fall yeah. here. Um however, this epitomizes their peak. I agree. All right, so now we're going into 15 Step by Radiohead off of their album In Rainbow. Another one of my picks that I think truly deserves to be on this playlist. Um, Radiohead, love them, hate them, depends on who you are. Uh, most notable albums have to be obviously OK Computer, and if you're really into Radiohead, you're gonna like Kid A and In Rainbows. Uh, most famous song obviously is Creep, um, but I think going down the Radiohead rabbit hole is kind of a black hole in the sense that you're if you're really trying to listen and you're trying to see what Tom York is doing artistically, you're going to get lost and love everything about them. Um, 15 Step was, I mean, not 15 Step, In Rainbows was this album that they didn't promote. They released it 
they I think I think it was like eight days before they announced that they were going to release an album and they were going to release it on their website and you get to choose what you pay for the album, the first to be digitally downloaded in that kind of era, era and so many people said that why would they do this same same uh, same way that Amazon was criticized like why would people buy it on the internet where you can go to the store and get it you know why are they only distributing the CD via digital download which eventually turned into this whole revolution of streaming and everything else that's going on right now. 15 Step is this departure, as every Radiohead album is, from their previous works. Um, and it comes in with this this gritty, like, gr- gritty production, Tom York's haunting vocals over this weird drum beat going into the strings that are clean and matched with like this kind of rock and roll vibe mixed with like a futuristic kind of... Um, angry production this is the best way I could describe it in my head. Um, what about you? Do you know anything about this song? Uh, very little. I think that uh, on the Zetgeist of the Radiohead discography, I would probably put In Rainbows 3 or 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably haven't spent enough time intimately with it. Uh, I can tell you, at least from what it sounds like on my 20 times I've heard it, um, is that I like the production of it. I like the mechanics of it. I, I like that uh, it's got a very early kind of like, it, it takes chances when like, like, kind of like, I don't know, early Beastie Boys after Paul's Boutique kind okay, of vibe. Okay. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I would say that it's a good choice for you and it's a fun one for me because I don't I don't know it as well as you do. Yeah. I mean, In Rainbows is actually one of my favorite albums ever. Um, and I just love, I love Tom York. I love the way he makes music. I love the way Radiohead makes music. And... I can't say enough good things about this song and listen to In Rainbow, stream it, discover it for yourself. Um, Yeah, so 15 Step by Radiohead. (laughs) All right, so now we're going into another one of my personal faves that Alan probably isn't a huge fan of. (laughs) It's This Is a Call off of the debut Foo Fighters album in obviously the tragic uh, suicide of Kurt Cobain, um, the breakup of Nirvana, and Dave Grohl trying to see what was what he was doing next. He recorded this entire album by himself, producing it. Uh, I don't think he mixed it, but he, he performed all the instruments on it, um, wrote all the lyrics. And this song, which actually opens the album, is was the last song he recorded before producing it onto a cassette tape and sending it across the nation to try and get picked up by a record label. <clears throat> and... A lot of the the lyrics kind of seem absurd, and that's because they are. And it's because he was running out of studio time, and he was just kind of making up words, uh, making up uh, lyrics as he goes, uh, which turns into this beginning of a band that I personally love. I think Dave Grohl is a fantastic musician, one of the best of this of my generation, uh, and maybe the generation prior. Uh, just talent. Um, I love a lot of their later work as well, but their uh, debut album will always hold a special place in my heart just because of the way uh, me and my dad listen to it all the time. Um, Big Me is one of my favorite love songs of all time, uh, which is also on this album. So if you haven't listened to Foo Fighters Past there, um, you know, their 10 main singles, you should definitely check it, check out their debut. You gonna say anything about it? Uh, Yeah, well said. Um, and to be, to give, to like put it in perspective, 
I don't hate the Foo Fighters. I look at it like LeBron James. Like yeah. they're both great at what they do. You know, I just don't think it's very it's it's music that matured very well. Um, I think that this album in particular is signifies the uh, the the era of Foo Fighters I like the most, and that's this, and then it's um, the color and the shape. And then um, what's the Foo Fighters with the neck, the, the tattoo neck, on yeah, the neck? It's like a four, your glory or something like that. I can't remember the name. No, no, I can't remember. Uh, nothing left to lose. Nothing left to lose. So those three, I think, are my favorite era of it. And yeah. then probably one by one is when it starts to kind of get you, crazy. Yeah, you hate that album. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate it. Um, but I just, I just think it's like a very ACDC driven music where it starts to get repetitive. And like once you heard the first four albums they're just giving you new versions of what's on those albums. Okay. And that's okay. I, I think that's great. Right. They sell out arenas and it's awesome for them. Um, th- this is another one. Probably this is a call is a really mm. cool song. My band in college covered it. So oh, really? I'm nice. obviously like nice. a fan of it, but I'd probably say now looking back at that album alone and easy targets, probably my favorite song of theirs ever. I'm alone. Yeah. Um, I agree. So I think this is a great one for its, for its status in rock and roll history of this era, probably there's no bigger rock and roll symbol than the Foo Fighters for most people. Yeah. I think it's a great choice. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for those kind words, Alan. <laughs> I love Foo Fighters. Off the air, it's not going to be so kind. You oh, get no. a little bit more boxy about it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. they, they were also one of my favorite shows I've ever seen uh, at the Metro, which was a very intimate experience a couple years ago. Uh, so with my best friend who also adores the Foo Fighters. And Dave Grohl played for like three and a half hours straight just kind of tiring but it was also kind of cool seeing just he would just rip out uh covers like if if anyone said a song from the stands that he'd be like all right let's play it so that's pretty cool to see uh and and closing this playlist we're talking about like a rolling stone by bob dylan This was your choice. Uh, can you give some context of why you chose it? Yeah, I think uh, anybody who falls in love with music and not only just listening to it, but learning about it and really going down the wormhole of the education um, and of influence, your Bob Dylan phase is one of your favorites, at least in my book. I'd say the Bowie phase and the Bob Dylan phase are one of my two phases that I really jumped into experimentally and loved. Um, this song in particular is iconic. Um, it's amazing that it opens up another uh, album, Highway 61 Revisited, which is one of, I think, the first album I bought into because, like, Rolling Stone was on it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, loved it. Uh, saw him live in Milwaukee. Cool. He, he played it at the time. I couldn't understand the word. Right, right. Um, but I do remember being really drunk and uh, and not understanding the words because I was drunk, understanding the words because he couldn't sing anymore. Um, I remember playing uh, my buddy's uh, leg with air guitar and had my shirt off at the show, which is really intense. Fantastic visualization, uh, visual for uh, all our listeners. Yeah. Um, Steve Rizzo, I know you remember that night. Oh, it was uh, on Rizzo's leg? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I great. I, I have a lot of experience with it. And like I said, it not only symbolizes the, the time period in my life where I got a chance to really dive into his discography, but it also brings back memories of really great times, and it's an iconic song. Probably another anthem. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's anthemic. Um, obviously, Bob Dylan, great American artist. Uh, I love what he's done for music in terms of storytelling and, um, you know, singing, songwriting. Um, 
Yeah, I haven't I I haven't had a Bob Dylan phase. I don't think I know a lot of his work, but I haven't been in that phase like you were saying. Um from what I can recall. I think mine was 23 or 24. Oh, I'm entering it. Well, maybe after you this may playlist, never, yeah. You may never get I don't know, it. bro. <laughs> um but yeah, so that actually so I think it's such a great song to close our playlist on. Um thank you for listening to Mike makes playlist. This is an awesome uh, concept. I'm really excited to be doing this. I hope you enjoy this playlist. I uh, hope you enjoy our commentary on it. We're probably going to be doing this uh, probably together uh, more often than not. Um, I like to bounce ideas off of uh, Alan all the time. Um, but I'm ready to be making uh, next week's, and I'm ready to be back on the mic explaining why I put songs there. And uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, hit us up. Contact at local219.tv. Um, thank you for listening. I've been Slater. And that was Alan. (laughs) Say bye, Alan. Bye. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening. See you later.